Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Eric Heisen, the Homeland Security Department's Chief Information Officer. Eric, uh, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Yeah, great to be here. You just got off a panel at the ACT-IAC ELC 2023 Imagination Nation. Lots to follow up with you from that. Let me start with the easy one, though. You all released maybe two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago now, uh, in, in October, the new IT strategy for the Homeland Security Department. Let's uh, go over what's in it. Give me some top-level views. We uh, released our IT strategic plan for uh, fiscal 24 through 28, just at the end of uh, September, and uh, it highlights a few different things. Uh, It's the first time in the department's history that we are putting in our IT strategy a focus on responsible use of AI across the department on our customer experience work, which has been uh, a major focus for me uh, in the la- over the last three years, uh, and also uh, that it enshrines a focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion among our IT workforce and how we are committing to strengthening our workforce uh, of over 5,000 IT professionals uh, across the department. So in addition to those three new pillars, the plan continues our focus on leveraging data as a strategic asset across the department, on leading by example when it comes to our cybersecurity, taking the role the department has uh, as the department that houses CISA that's responsible for federal civilian cybersecurity and ensuring that we are able to lead the rest of the federal uh, government by example in our own cybersecurity practices, and then also talks about how we are looking to modernize key legacy systems uh, across the department. Uh, We make some explicit statements for the first time, even though these are really uh, just a continuation of how we have approached legacy modernization for many years at DHS, that we are focused on abandoning the Big Bang waterfall approach to legacy modernization and making sure that we are adopting true agile development, uh, that we are focused on government as the integrator, not looking at overly relying on single system integrator contracts to make sure that we can modernize and retire costly legacy systems to deliver better value for our employees and the public. Let's start with that last piece first. It's the most interesting one, and I know a lot of vendors, as we saw in the room probably, looked at you sideways maybe a little bit. What's that mean when you say we're not going to rely so much on systems integrators? It's it's the big bang approach. We get that. But what's this mean for you in in terms of how you are going to put out either contracts or how you're going to work on systems and, and modernization? Let me be clear that saying that changes nothing about the types of businesses that we are contracting with. It changes how we are thinking about our contracts and the role of industry versus the role of government. When you look at the too many failed legacy modernization programs across DHS uh, and across the federal government writ large, you see some trends, uh, or at least I do, that more often than not, these failed programs involved a single contract that put out a giant laundry list of requirements and tried to get a single vendor that would solve all of them uh, in one giant release of new software. That's not what we all know today, is that is not how a successful software project works. Not in the government, not in private industry. 
And so when we talk about government as the integrator, it builds off uh, work that we have done for many years at DHS, uh, work that, that I first saw during my first stint at the department at the U.S. Digital Service, where I worked with U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services on their transformation program. That was a notoriously uh, struggling modernization program, got written up and was on the front page of the Washington Post for its, uh, its issues. And the way that an extremely strong federal and contract team at USCIS turned that around was to shift away from having one single vendor be fully responsible, but uh, instead think about uh, government product owners, government project managers that were integrating the work of multiple different vendors. And the prior vendor played a, still continued to play a large role in that new approach. So it's not saying that we are moving away from working with big system integrator companies, period. Uh, it is saying that we are looking at how we engage with large and small vendors in a different way. Like anything, when you make a change, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some training. Do you have some initial programs that you've already started this on or you plan to? It is increasingly becoming the default uh, for our work uh, across DHS. I think we saw this in USCIS transformation. We've seen this in FEMA's grants modernization program that has made really an incredible progress uh, over the last several years. Similarly, on their national flood insurance uh, program uh, modernization effort. And uh, today we are looking at that with our financial systems modernization effort as we seek to, uh, in partnership with our office of the CFO, look at strengthening the program management there. Uh, and then we're also spending a lot of time looking at this approach for our the Homeland Advanced Recognition Technology Program, or HART, which is our uh, biometrics modernization program out of our Office of Biometric Identity Management. I'm glad you brought up the FM system that has been years and years and years of struggles. Is there anything new you can tell us on that? At the moment, Is you're down a path with the CFO. Do you have a plan or a strategy laid out in terms of how to modernize, how to finally kind of overcome the, the big challenges? Sure. Well, first, I think what we have seen in implementation for the Coast Guard most recently in particular uh, has been uh, an acknowledgement that there is a focus on continuous improvement is always going to be necessary. We were able to roll out modernized system for, for the Coast Guard as well as for uh, two of our other agencies. And uh, we had some challenges, as many large, complex software rollouts do. But uh, through really strong collaboration between the Coast Guard's IT and financial teams, uh, along with my teams and uh, the CFO's teams, we've made very good progress uh, and uh, are continuing to improve the system and will as we move forward. Uh, and we're taking a lot of those lessons learned to the two uh, next areas up. Uh, we recently awarded our software contracts for FEMA and then for the uh, CUBE, uh, for additional agencies, uh, and are working to see take those lessons of uh, making sure that we are playing an appropriately empowered technical role from the government side and pairing that with strong uh, contractor teams uh, to take the, effort, the uh, FEMA and CUBE efforts forward. And the, just to be clear, the FEMA and CUBE efforts are related to the financial management, or they're separate? Yes, those are the, the next, two, the next uh, two parts of the agency that are moving. Excellent. There's so much more to talk to you. I could talk to you about that all day. Let's uh, jump over. The other piece of the strategic plan I just want to touch upon as well is you talk about uh, responsible use of AI and 
the other hat you wear is the permanent uh, chief AI officer, which you recently uh, were named. And then we have the AIEO out there. How are you kind of wearing those two hats as CIO at AI? And, and, and how does the strategic plan come into that? One of the reasons that I was so uh, excited to, uh, when Secretary Mayorkas asked me to take on this ro- second role as the department's first chief AI officer, uh, is because I expect that over time, the percentage of IT that we manage at DHS, that any uh, large enterprise manages that uses AI will only grow and will approach uh, 100% in various forms. And so uh, effectively and responsibly leveraging AI is going to become a critical part of any IT organization uh, moving forward. And so we are focused on being able to build out procedures that ensure that uh, our use of AI across DHS is safe, ethical, responsible, and effective, that we are rigorously testing to ensure that our uses of AI do not demonstrate unintended bias, uh, and that our uh, AI use is explainable to the people uh, that we serve. That's something that we're doing in close partnership with our Office for Civil Rights and Civil Liberties, our Privacy Office, our General Counsel, and many others across the department. And we are doing that in a methodical way. A couple of weeks ago, we released two key foundational policies. The first was a policy statement on our overall principles for responsible AI use from the secretary that will underpin all of our work in this space. And then we are going to be following up on that with different policies that implement those principles for specific types of AI. So the first one uh, of those that we released concurrently was on our use of facial recognition and face matching. And we set out very clear procedures for testing uses of facial recognition before we deploy them that include uh, rigorous testing against unintended bias uh, and also put in place some operational limitations, uh, such as that we are not going to use facial recognition matches as the sole basis for denying a benefit or taking a law enforcement action. So we're going through a similar process now for generative AI and for other types of AI technologies uh, to ensure that we are using them responsibly across DHS. When you talk about generative AI, I know that has been a big issue looking across government. Several agencies have put out policies that said, don't use it until further notice. Others said, use it very judiciously. How are you looking at this for now? I know it's still in, in, in the works, but maybe from a high level. I view, and I think across DHS, we view that uh, we need to give our employees the tools they need to do their jobs. Our workforce is incredibly talented, incredibly passionate, and the workload that we have across DHS only gets larger every single day. Uh, When you look over the last several years, the number of new challenges that our workforce has taken on uh, is truly incredible. And so when we see a technology that has the potential to make our workforce more productive, we're going to uh, seize that, but we're going to do that in a deliberate and appropriate way. So uh, we're still finalizing our our exact policies, but uh, they will look like what uh, is encouraged in President Biden's executive order that was uh, recently signed that talks about the importance of uh, training for our workforce uh, on how to use AI systems, 
uh, that talks about policies and procedures around what information you can and can't put into these systems, and then ensuring uh, appropriate human review of those outputs. I know more is coming on that, so we will obviously follow up when when the, the time is right. Let's take a bigger step back. We know that the AI executive order came out just recently, and there was a fact sheet put up by DHS about their input that were there, their some of the work you'll be doing to help support that implementation. That falls to you, I'm sure, more plates to spin, if you will. What are some of those priorities that, as you're looking at the implementation? Where's, what's the role DHS will play around the EO? We have two primary roles uh, around AI at the department. Uh, the first is how we will harness AI to transform our own operations. Uh, this is something that Secretary Mayorkas is incredibly passionate about. I think he was playing around with uh, some of these new AI tools before I even got my hands on them and uh, has been very eager to see us fully leverage the technology to uh, to improve everything from how we uh, keep uh, fentanyl and other dangerous drugs out of the country to how we streamline getting disaster assistance to survivors that need it and and much, much more. So there is uh, a major focus through our AI task force that I co-chair along with our Undersecretary for Science and Technology, Dmitry Kuznetsov, on identifying and accelerating critical uses of AI to support our mission. Uh, and then our second use, uh, our role in this space is promoting and ensuring nationwide AI safety and security. We have a lot of work that we've been charged with under the executive order, uh, including partnering with critical infrastructure to ensure that their use of AI is responsible and secure. That will involve standing up a new AI safety and security board that builds off the tremendous success that our cyber safety review board uh, has had uh, in the last couple of years. It also involves ensuring that AI cannot be used to generate threat information on weapons of mass destruction or bioweapons, work that makes it even more critical that our Office of Countering Weapons of Mass Destruction is reauthorized by Congress uh, urgently, and uh, ensuring that AI cannot be used to generate child sexual abuse material and other uh, information that threatens homeland security. So we'll be partnering with industry uh, and experts to uh, advance those discussions. Uh, and then finally, it looks at promoting cybersecurity in the AI space uh, overall, uh, work that extends uh, what CISA has uh, been doing uh, incredibly well uh, since it stood up and which Director Easterly is, uh, I believe, her way out to uh, London to discuss as part of the uh, U.S. delegation to the AI Safety Summit there. Eric, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest says Eric Heisen, the Department of Homeland Security's Chief Information Officer. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Eric Heisen, the Department of Homeland Security's Chief Information Officer. I spoke with Eric Heisen at the ACT-IAC ELC 2023 conference earlier this week in Hershey, Pennsylvania. The training of the workforce piece, let me start there because no matter how good the tools are, as you know, if you can't use them well, it doesn't matter. What are some of those steps you have been or are planning to take around ensuring the workforce has some basic knowledge? You heard Guy Cavallo from OPM say he, you know, at the very least, he said everyone take the 101 course. Imagine you're doing something similar. Absolutely. We're looking at AI training for our workforce in two ways. The first is how we train our 
IT professionals uh, across the department are over 5,000 throughout DHS to uh, be able to build skills in AI, data science, and related fields to manage software acquisitions and other complex work in this space. And that'll be done as part of the new uh, IT Academy that we are standing up across DHS. The second is around AI literacy for the entire DHS workforce. So we are still in the early stages, but looking to offer AI literacy training to every DHS employee uh, so that they can understand how to use AI systems effectively, they can understand risks posed by uh, unintended bias or hallucinations, uh, and know uh, how they should be thinking about using the outputs from AI in their work. Tell me just a little bit more about the uh, new IT Academy you're standing up. Uh, I'm not sure. I've heard that before, but maybe it's uh, maybe I just missed it. No, it's been a uh, focus of our uh, DHS CIO council over the last 18 months that w- where we are looking to build out more programming for our entire IT workforce to develop new skills. We're looking at uh, three different areas. The first is that uh, early next year we'll be rolling out a standard new hire orientation program for all new IT employees anywhere at DHS. Uh, this is something that uh, is actually an idea that I have, I've stolen from our, our CFO, Stacey Marcotte, who runs this for all new CFO employees in the department. Uh, it helps build from early on a sense of cohesion among the workforce. The second is that we are uh, looking at a standardizing an entry-level program that's uh, a part of our uh, DHS cybersecurity service or cyber talent management system to uh, be able to have a standard curriculum for uh, entry-level employees to learn about different uh, IT fields and uh, be able to uh, start their careers off impactfully at the department. Uh, And then finally, we're looking at uh, ongoing educational programs uh, and offerings for all employees to build new skills in fields like AI and data science, customer experience and design, and the like. And, of course, just to tag back to the beginning of our conversation, I'm sure the DevSecOps, Agile, and all those skill sets are needed because if you're going to move from the big systems integrator to lots of smaller ones, smaller, you'll need the, the more technical skill sets for the, the DHS employees. Absolutely. Is the IT Academy launched? Would you have a timeline of sometime in 2024, or, or where, where does that stand? We are... Uh practicing what we preach and going in an agile, iterative way. So our uh, chief technology officer, Dave Larimore, has started uh, some of those uh, initial uh, skills-building programs among the CTO community in the department. We're adding on with that new new hire orientation in the next couple of months and then building from there. All right. Again, more to follow up with you. Erica, in the few minutes we have left together, I just want to jump to the last thing. Another big priority of yours over the last several uh, year or so has been the reducing of burden. This idea of can we look at the policies, the technology, the whole process piece to say, do we need to do this and why? And if we don't, let's not do it anymore. I heard a very similar discussion with uh, Scott Simpson in your procurement innovation lab looking very similar at the procurement requirements. Talk about your reducing of burden effort and what's your goals for 2024? 
earlier this year, we were able to uh, announce that we had eliminated over 20 million hours of the 190 million hours of uh, administrative burden that we place on the public every year as measured by the Paperwork Reduction Act. And we did that through a mix of technology, automating form submissions, uh, making forms available on mobile devices, things like that, and also through process and legal changes, uh, really asking ourselves, do we need this information? Uh, is this playing a critical role in our uh, in making a decision on this uh, on this form or request. And uh, that was a successful first step. And we're now following up on that by saying that every year we are going to uh, set a new goal for our burden reduction. So for fiscal 24 uh, that just started, we have laid out a goal to uh, eliminate uh, another 10 million hours of public burden on top of the 20 million plus that we have already eliminated the uh, teams across the department are now working on uh, their plans for what that will look like. And our goal is to make this an ongoing practice for us every year. Another part of the effort uh, that our customer experience directorate will be focusing on as part of this will be uh, redesigning our DHS forms uh, to give them a uniform look and feel to make them a little easier to be filled out. And also looking at some of that for our own employees uh, so that uh, it doesn't technically count towards the public burden hours. But if we can reduce the time it takes our employees to fill out some of their paperwork, that will have a positive effect on the public as well down the, down the line. Didn't ask you this one last question, then I wouldn't have done my job well. Uh, we've talked a lot about uh, zero trust. We've talked a lot about cybersecurity. You mentioned uh, that's another big priority in the IT strategic plan. Maybe just give us a brief update of where DHS is at in meeting the goals of Zero Trust. You had also mentioned uh, the panel around working through the CIO Council among the collaboration tools and, and making things easier to communicate, whether across government or among government, different levels of government. So those last two things, let's start with Zero Trust. I think we are well on track in our Zero Trust journey. Uh, one of the comments that, that Adele, our IC CIO, made during the panel that I fully agree with is that zero trust is always going to be a journey. We will never be done. But I am uh, pleased with the progress that we are uh, making so far uh, across DHS. We are all pairing our internal zero trust efforts uh, with a focus on vendor cyber hygiene and also uh, supply chain risk management. To me, zero trust is not just the work of ensuring appropriate access to appropriate resources within our environment, but it also means uh, looking much more closely at the uh, companies and the software that come in to our, uh, our environment as well. And so we recently, uh, our CISO, Ken Bible, and our uh, procurement team uh, recently put out new information on SAM.gov around the uh, vendor cyber hygiene assessments that we are looking to expand as part of our pre- and post-award process for uh, an increasing percentage of our contracts that I think will be uh, a, a critical tool for us uh, that we uh, believe we can implement without overly burdening industry to give us more visibility into vendor cyber practices. And I think together, uh, we uh, think that our zero trust work paired with our vendor cyber hygiene and supply chain work are putting us in a good cyber position moving forward. And, and that cyber hygiene questionnaire, it's on SAM.gov. People can find it. Roughly, when was it released? Do you know offhand? 
I believe last week. Okay. So we're good. We'll make sure we try to link to that on federalnewsnetwork.com to make it easier. And then the last piece, of course, is the uh, collaboration piece. I heard from Mike Duffy from CISA around SCUBA, which we're all very excited about as an acronym in and of itself. But, but talk a little about those collaboration tool challenges. Among our federal employees... And even more so when we think about collaborating with our partners in state, local, tribal, and territorial government, the inability to seamlessly communicate across cloud environments is becoming more and more of a challenge. Uh, It's one that we're discussing at the federal CIO council. It's one that I'm discussing uh, at my DHS CIO council and with our our partners at all all levels. At DHS, I have the uh, unique privilege to uh, be responsible for IT in an agency that includes many civilian components as well as a military service. So I have large numbers of employees on uh, the .gov as well as on .mil. It can seem trivial when we're talking about it from how can my colleagues at the Coast Guard access our DHS headquarters SharePoint link and just like an inconvenience. But when you start to think about the uh, actual impacts to uh, effective coordination during major incidents becomes a real challenge. And so we are looking to see how we can work with industry to make collaboration environments uh, more compatible uh, across organizations and even, as in our case of DHS, within an organization to uh, aid in our ability to uh, work to work together. Real quick, just what's that potentially going to look like do you know yet or is it still in those early stages of hey we know it's a problem we know we need to work together to solve it but what that potential answer is who knows it will take uh input and collaboration from industry these are complex uh, products that have lots of customers that are across government and across the private sector Uh, and so uh, we want to work collaboratively with uh with, with industry to figure this out. And just real quick, you think in acquisition strategy, RFIs, just uh, meetings, do you have, is there a plan yet, I guess? is the... <laughs> uh, start, Starting with meetings and discussions, and then uh, we'll, we'll move from there. All right. Eric, you know I could talk to you a lot longer, but uh, I will let you go back to your day. Uh, let me thank my guest. Eric Heisen is the Homeland Security Department's Chief Information Officer. Eric, always a pleasure. Great. Thank you, Jason. We have to take a break. When we come back, we'll shift gears and talk about the Homeland Security Department's efforts around customer experience. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. For this part of the show, we shift gears and learn about the Homeland Security Department's work on customer experience. My guest is Dana Chisnell, the DHS Executive Director for Customer Experience, sitting here at the ACT-IAC ELC 2023 conference. Uh, Dana, thanks so much for taking the time. It's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jason. You can't go anywhere without talking about customer experience. Thank it, goodness. It, thank goodness. <laughs> Just <laughs> it's about time. It's, it's in, in, in a good way. Yeah. So I want to start with DHS has been focused on customer experience for, for a couple years, probably one could say longer, but I think uh, your, your position is relatively new. Yeah. So talk a little bit about what your priorities are. What are you kind of focused on? Well, customer experience has been going on at the Department of Homeland Security for a while, really for, for years before my appearing. It got a lot of legs when CIO Heisen landed in the winter, spring of 2021. And even then, uh, he had started seeding efforts, a program around what could we do around service design, around service delivery, around customer experience. And so in anticipation of the customer experience executive order dropping. And so 
when it did, uh, that became the top priority. And uh, so that still is our top priority, is implementing uh, and supporting the customer experience uh, efforts in all of the operating components related to the uh, customer experience executive order. For the nerds in the audience, that's 14058. So that will continue. We'll keep going on ensuring that everybody can deliver on their promises there. But the non-high-impact service providers also, all this government speak, have made commitments for uh, improving their customer experience. And so building their capacity and helping them further their customer experience culture also is a top priority there. But we are growing, and so establishing our program as we now are officially a directorate is top in getting ourselves uh, organized and staffed, uh, and in the meantime, delivering on the CXEO, but also now uh, the Digital First uh, initiative, uh, again, for the nerds in the audience, M2322, which is policy guidance for the 21st Century IDEA Act, uh, which has been languishing. We've actually done a great job at DHS of, of supporting components offices on delivering on the promise of 21st century idea. Uh, and now we get to formalize that and expand it. So there's a lot there to talk about. And let me maybe take a, a full step back and said, you said you're growing, you're establishing your program, uh, you're a directorate now. How many people do you have? What, what, is go, what goes into going from an idea to a person, to a group of people, to an office, to a directorate? <laughs> It's really fun. Yeah. Actually, the growth has been incredible. So about this time last year, we were five or six people who were mostly volunteered in to... Voluntold. (laughs) Some of us, You're saying yes. (laughs) (laughs) But folks were willing because there was the support of the CIO and of the deputy secretary and the secretary. So when you get that kind of visibility and attention and customer experience is number four in the secretary's priorities... It's hard to pass up an opportunity like that. So we were five or six people. We also ran a pretty big hiring action last September uh, using the SMEQA format. This is uh, using subject matter experts to establish the competencies and do the evaluations. Where we had a thousand applications from human-centered designers and product managers. And we hired a lot of people out of that uh, and they, <laughs> amazingly, uh, almost all of them showed up, which was absolutely wonderful. And then we also merged with the Office of Accessible Services and Technology, uh, which had been under the CDO. When we started partnering on projects, it seemed obvious that we should join forces. And so that partnership grew very quickly. And now we are all working on a whole bunch of new CX people landing at about the same time, and uh, the former OST team integrating, building a culture together, uh, learning from one another. Roughly how many people were hired? A thousand applicants, even if it's 10 people, it's a lot of people (laughs) for any government agency. Do you you have any idea? Yeah, we made 16 offers out of that, and uh, 13 people accepted, but also wonderfully, Uh, Several people were hired across the department as well. FEMA hired out of that cert. Uh, USCIS is hiring out of that cert. And there are probably other folks out there in the department who I don't even know for sure whether they came through that 
do that hiring action. Uh, we also brought in several people uh, to OCIO outside of the CEX directorate specifically. And so it was a good propagation. I just had a conversation with OPM director Karen Nahuja about this exact thing. Why do we hire for one position when we all need very similar positions? So I think that's a great success story of one hiring action, 13 people, and then FEMA, USCIS, and others who also uh, added to that. So, so thank you for that. What else? How else are you growing? Are, are there tools? Are there other processes that are, are kind of growing out? over the last year? I imagine there are, so maybe what are they? <laughs> In addition to hiring people, we are trying to build capacity and capability across the department in a number of ways. We know, for example, that dozens, possibly hundreds, maybe thousands of people across the department have been doing customer experience work for ages. They might have just been thinking about it and talking about it differently from me as a human-centered designer and the vocabulary that I might use. So we want to find those people and make sure that they are supported, that they get rewarded for doing that work and that they can improve their skills over time. So that's also how we're making practitioners. And there are a lot of people who are curious about this and working on uh, operationalizing customer experience. So helping them uh, not only have the mindset, but also have the skill set and over the next couple of years, we will be working on a large tool set. I think that's really important because you, even no matter how big your office and directorate can grow, DHS is the largest civilian agency. You're not going to be able to touch everyone. So you need the train-the-trainer model. You Definitely. need the trickle-down. You mentioned uh, at the beginning of our conversation, DHS has been focused on customer experience for quite some time, whether it's been officially called that or not. How are you measuring your progress today? Where, what's your baseline, or maybe from a year ago when you started to today, and, and what, what kind of progress are you seeing? The high-impact service providers on the designated services have been measuring customer satisfaction, and so have many of the other services for quite a while. So we're looking at those measures, obviously, but customer satisfaction doesn't tell the entire story of progress. So we are also working on uh, developing a way of assessing maturity in the same way that an IT program might look at program health and uh, using that view on CX maturity to identify opportunities for the component partners and their programs to mature, but also for us to identify services that we can provide. So we'll be looking at that over time. In addition, we are encouraging teams to look at outcomes versus outputs. There's so many incentives in the system for outputs. Puts, right? Maybe an example would be helpful because I think we hear that a lot, but, mm-hmm. but what is an output? What is an outcome, right? So maybe is there an example that you would come to mind? Well, so one of the, one of the outputs that we can talk about is, uh, is backlogs, right? There are backlogs all over the place. You could name a few at USCIS probably. Uh, there's a backlog at uh, CBP for global entry, that would be an output, right? Like just moving applications through a process and either accepting or denying them. But what we want to look at is what is the difference that having that benefit makes in the lives of the public? And what is the experience like in reaching that? So we can pop a customer satisfaction survey the moment you take the oath for your naturalization, of course you're going to be happy, but it might have taken you 10 or 15 or 20 years to get there. So what was the experience like to get there? And that's the outcome piece you're trying to focus on to say, it's not just they got through the process, yay, but it was arduous. It 
I had to bring you my paper 17 times or I had to go to the in person 12 times and then call 14 times. Like that's the outcome piece to, okay, how can we shrink that? Mm -hmm. You mentioned as well as, as other metrics, how are you developing those metrics and and maybe give us, do you have any examples you want to share about what, what are some of those current or future metrics maybe or are? Right now we're really working on what are the metrics that are available out there? What are people collecting? already and what do they know from that how are they being used and if they're part of a of something that looks like a feedback loop is it actually a loop is that loop closed what do we do with the data when we get it and what's the what's the follow up what is the transparency and accountability to the public uh, as well and so that's the space that we're really exploring right now around all that Dana, on that note, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. My guest is Dana Chisnell, Executive Director for Customer Experience at the Homeland Security Department. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Dana Chisnell, the Executive Director for Customer Experience at the Homeland Security Department. I caught up with Dana at the 2023 ELC Conference sponsored by ACT-IAC in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Jewish hope or expect that in time you'll create some CX dashboards. Uh, You'll (laughs) somehow uh, give people a window into what that data says and how they compare to others who are in the similar world. We know CBP, USCIS could be very similar. TSA, FEMA could be very similar, have some overlapping in terms of goals and and customers and the like. Yeah, it's interesting. When you look at overlaps in customers, for example, you could look at TSA PreCheck and CVP Global Entry as an example. On the surface, they look like they're the same audience, the same uh, customer, but they're not necessarily. And the underlying processes are different, right? The purpose of the two programs is, is quite different. Even though the experience can seem like it should be similar. So the vetting process for global entry, for example, is an immigration process. It's not a domestic travel uh, process. So we have some uh, interesting challenges there. But yes, we are working on looking across those places where there are shared customers or at least the appearance of shared customers. Now, you asked this question about a CX dashboard. Yes, because partly because CIO Heisen loves a good dashboard. And so the question is how to get to a good dashboard. And we're working on some prototypes right now with the data that we have uh, that will help us really understand what the story is of those services. Of course, we can pull together a whole bunch of publicly available data and show it to you on a web page. But how do we actually make that a meaningful thing that tells easily tells the story of how customer experience is improving or progressing uh, at DHS. And so that's, it's a challenge that we are just starting to address right now. You mentioned the EO and you mentioned the current new memo from OMB on digital services. We heard Federal Chief Information Officer uh, Claire Monterano speak about that memo. Let's start there. It's interesting because I've talked to her in the past about this memo and this effort. And she said, well, not every agency is starting at the same place. Some are more advanced than others. It sounds like DHS has been, uh, took the proverbial bull by the horns on the 21st Century Idea Act and and, and went forward. How have you been implementing some of those ideas, uh, the spirit and the intent of the law? There are really two arms to this. One is a long 
effort on the part of the U.S. Digital Service bringing in better practices around just service delivery for software that is on the public internet. The other part of this is a very progressive, proactive Office of Public Affairs that has been uh, instrumental uh, in leading the Federal Web Council for a very long time, including uh, within the Department of Homeland Security. And so we're pretty good. We're in very good shape, thanks to Matt Harmon and the folks who work with him in OPA, on meeting the basics on uh, public-facing websites. So you're using U.S. web design standards. We are. And it's mobile first or at least mobile friendly. In most cases. Yes. I know TSA is known for their mobile app, and, yep. and they have a great social media uh, following. So if you one of the best, one actually. of the best, <laughs> you're made some progress. What, what, are, what are you looking at as we are early into 2024 and beyond? What are some of those priorities from the CX director that you want to? Whether it's EO related, digital services related, or just generally. This year upcoming, we will have been involved in a in several important efforts in addition to working on culture change and building capacity across the department. I'm excited about the designated services for 2024. You can read about those on the public, on the president's management agenda website. But in addition, uh, we are specifically working with TSA PreCheck and Global Entry on a shared roadmap to build in some efficiencies there and to re-examine what the offering is exactly and how it's being communicated to customers. We're also working on unifying cust we're also working on unifying communications across channels in various areas of immigration to make sure that all of the component agencies that are involved in those processes are saying the same things the same ways in plain language. And in fact, one of the things that we have done in creating the directorate is spun up a, an accessible plain language practice where we have not only accessibility folks working on compliance with ADA 508, but also instituting plain language practices which have long been needed across government and boosting language access uh, across the department uh, as well. And so it's my intention to work with our leadership to create some 2024 priorities specifically around those areas. Dana, I very much enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I learned a lot. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Let me thank my guest, uh, Dana Chisnell, is the Executive Director of, for Customer Experience at the Homeland Security Department. Dana, thank you. Thank you so much, Jason. That's all the time we have for today. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 